All right, we're playing um, audios from what's the guy's name? Smooth McGroove. Smooth McGroove, and um, he does songs with his voice and um, acapella. Yeah, that's what it's called, acapella. And um, I'm gonna try to guess some of them. Let's see how this goes. All right, first song. <laughs> Oh my god, I can't remember this. I, I know the song, obviously. That's a Booper Dario. Wait, Super Mario World? Yeah. Super Mario World, he got that shit. Right, but man. he gave me the freaking clue by Duper Dario. You know it's Mario. <laughs> I just couldn't figure out which one. Next one, bro. I don't know if you know this one. Contra. Oh, shit. <laughs> Contra, yeah. It should be easy, but I don't know. <laughs> what the hell is this? I don't know this one. Sonic 2. Yeah, I would never get that. I never played anything other than the first Sonic, so there's no way I would have never gotten that. Next. Tetris. Nope. I think you played this Zelda. <laughs> oh, I love this game. It was so hard. And by mind you guys, I finished this game back in the 90s when it came out, or the 80s, or whenever it was, without the internet. And this game was freaking hard. <laughs> You can't just say what it is, you gotta get the game, bro. Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah, <laughs> Super Mario 3? Uh, I don't know this one. I, I mean, I'm not recognizing. Alright, I, I give up. I don't know this one. What is it? Super Mario World 2. Yeah, I never played that. Yeah. Alright, y'all. That concludes this game. Name that tune. Yeah. Wait, what's that guy's name again? Smooth McGroove. Yeah. He sits down next to me and he goes, Hey, man, you recognize this guy? He plays it and I'm like, uh, uh, Who's that? He's like, Smooth McGroove, man. You don't know who Smooth McGroove is? Everybody knows Smooth McGroove. <laughs> I don't know who Smooth McGroove is, but that was fun. We're going to have a great show for y'all today. Allow me to introduce to you my good homeboy, Ivan Sanchez. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The city of New York, Boricua from the Bronx. Hey, everybody. What's up? You're tuned in to Not Just NYC Talking. That's right. We are not just NYC talking. What does that mean? We don't just talk about New York City. I know the name can be misleading, but trust me, we don't just talk about New York City. Today, I am joined by author Ivan Sanchez. And yes, he's from New York City, as am I. Both from the Bronx, couple of years apart, both from the hood. And we are going to share some awesome stories with you. Keep it real. We're going to talk about everything, not just NYC talking. Hey! www.nyctalking.com Please like NYC Talking on Facebook. Please follow Angel R. Talk on Twitter and Instagram. We are NYC Talking. The realest lifestyle blog ever.
I mean, you, you're an author, you have a publishing company, and <laughs> I remember when I read your book, right, there was one scene that always stuck in my head, Flying Watermelons, we could talk about that, that was, that was hilarious. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from, just to give the listeners a little perspective as to who I'm talking to. We're going to be entering into some some heavy topics, um, sure. but I want to give perspective, right? I want to give everyone perspective as to who you are. Sure, absolutely. Again, Angel, thanks for having me. My name is Ivan Sanchez, and uh, I'm, I'm a Bronx native, New York native, love my city, don't currently live there right now. We may get into a little bit, bit of that uh, during the show. Um, but I did write a book uh, that was published by Simon & Schuster back in 2008 called um, Next Stop, Growing Up Wild Style in the Bronx. And I followed that up with another book called It's Just Begun, The Epic Journey of DJ Disco Wiz, hip-hop's first Latino DJ. So just telling a few New York stories um, about what it was like for us growing up in the inner city uh specifically during the crack epidemic, what that did, you know, what, what our communities looked like before and after the drug ep epidemic really got out of hand. So, um, you know, I was I was honored to be able to write that book and more honored to be able to publish it uh, with Simon & Schuster. And, um, you know, we'll have some more books coming down the pipe here in the future. Uh, like you said, I, I've started Kingsbridge Publishing, uh, which I had hoped to launch, but it's independent. And things take time when you're using your own money and resources, as everyone knows. Um, right. So, but but I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to tell more New York stories in the future. That's very good. Very good. The, the book Next Stop is definitely one of my favorite. I I read, I read that book within moments. And and you know, I I should state we have actually never met in person. And um, even so, after I read the book, I felt like I already knew you. You know what I mean? It was like one of those things. I read the book, and I felt like, yeah, I know Ivan. Yeah, I know this guy. Even even yeah, before yeah. we even, you know, before we even connected and, and started to interact, you know, via social media, via uh, phone and stuff, I already felt like I had I had gotten such a great look into your life via that that book. You know, which mm -hmm. was which was cool. It was it's amazing. It was a really good story. I mean. Lots of lots of stuff going on, and, and and it's real. That's that's the key thing there. That it's real. It's so for me. It was like, man, you know, I'm reading. I think you're maybe I don't know what five, maybe you know, like one. What we would have considered like one generation ahead of me in terms of kids. You know what I mean? Like like like. Okay. So you you know, I, it was to me. It was like reading someone like that was just when just before I was coming into right the whole. Creston Ave and that whole area like I, I I used to go to school in the area as well so to me it was like reading about stuff that I knew but from a different perspective which really well really I'm sure I'm sure you knew on Ivan and if not someone like me then there was someone like you or someone like any of the characters in my book because we you know we covered everything from the neighborhood protector to the neighborhood bully to the guy that was the best with his hands to the guy that would pull out the gun and you know that's just the way it is where we grow up you know, we grew up with uh, such an adverse group of people, and you know, I think that's one of the things we're we're just blessed to be able to know so many different types of personalities and have to learn how to navigate those waters and get along. And you know, that that's why some of these things happening now in New York are, are troubling to me because you know we should all know how to get along by now. We should all know how to 
you know, behave as human beings and, and you know, all, all of our ethnicities and religions and cultures, they all come together in New York. And we should be setting a, an example for the rest of the nation about how exactly we can get along, um, especially, you know, between the, the police officers and the civilians. And I think that's something we're going to talk to a little bit today. But, you know, it's just, um, it's good and bad. You know, it was great growing up in that type of environment. And I think those are the things that allow us to be able to go back and reflect and try to find ways to fix some of these issues that are just plaguing us these days. Right. There's things, there's things that you and I experienced growing up that some good and some bad, like someone like my, my son right now, he's sitting here um, playing with the PS4, entertaining him. So there's things that we experienced growing up that he, thankfully, and some of them are sad that he won't, will not. Like they're, they're bonds that you and I would have made. You know, we, you know, you, you, one of the things we all did growing up was hang out with our friends from the building. You know, you, you, you have friends, you have your little group you hang out with, and you form some lifelong bonds like that. You know, um, that that's one of the good things. I have I have people that I consider pretty much my brothers, who are from my old block, who I grew up with. Because you you kind of it's almost like you make your own family. You know, mm-hmm. you, 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 you build your own family. Some people don't have fathers. Some don't have siblings. You know, um, whatever the case is, you start to form these bonds and families. In today's world, at least the world someone like my son is growing up in, they don't see that. They wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, they wouldn't get to experience that, you know, except in school and they make some friends like that. But it's not the same. That's one of the sad things. And one of the good things is they don't have to worry so much about some of the other things we experience, the negative, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, um, I mentioned the watermelon story. You you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, anybody that grew up in New York knows Halloween, especially in the 80s and 90s, was, it was a dangerous time to leave your house. I mean, I think most people that were smart, you know, if they did that trick-or-treating, they did it in their building or maybe a couple buildings in their neighborhood and just didn't venture out too far. And we had wars, man. You know, the war started with eggs, and and then later on we started raiding the food food stands and throwing oranges and apples, and then watermelons flying off the roofs. It was, you know, and and we'd go into other neighborhoods, you know, around the Broadway area, 231st. They had a crew called Born Crazy and, and Crunch Bunch. You know, the, the the white boys, you know, the Caucasian crews out there running around in the Bronx and. You know, they'd attack uh, us, Latino, primarily Latinos and, and African-Americans. They, they'd attack us running through their community. They'd be throwing golf balls and stuff at us off of their rooftops. So, you know, it was just one of the things we did. We were teenagers. We, You know, we were wilding out and, and, and wreaking all kind of havoc. But I do know by the mid-'90s, you know, the NYPD was really shutting that down. You know, they weren't allowing it to go as far as it, as it did back in our days. Right, right. I always, I always remember that watermelon story because while I, while I was reading the book and I read that, I literally started laughing in the train because I envisioned someone walking and a giant watermelon coming. Now, if a watermelon hits someone on top of the head, it could hurt them. So I don't mean to, to glorify a giant watermelon falling from the roof, but the concept of the thought of it coming down and splattering and, and chunks of watermelon landing on people, that part, when I read that, I was reading it on the train. I just started laughing, and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. But it was it was funny. I I, I never forget that vision from my head of just a you know just a massive watermelon coming down from the roof. Now we're talking five stories, six stories up, 
think of a watermelon coming down and then hitting the floor. Pop! It's, it's, it's freaking hilarious. It just, it makes me laugh. I, to this day, if I, I remember that scene, it made me laugh. When you were talking, I was giggling over here. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a New York story for sure, man. It's something that everyone that grew up in the city can relate to. I never got to see one. Maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll uh, have a moment where I go to a roof and just launch a giant watermelon down. I think that would be pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> you know, I got to be careful with that though. Things are kind of crazy out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gotten it's gotten kind of nuts. So nowadays yeah. you'd probably get shot and killed over it. It's, it's just oh yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Today it will most definitely turn into probably much more of a violent situation. I mean, toward, towards the, you know, 91, 92, 93, you know, guns did start coming out on Halloween night and people did start shooting at each other. And it's just that it's a progression, you know, from being 13, 14 years old to being 17, 18 years old. And you kind of just do that natural progression from small time hood, you know, to I walk around with a gun every day. So if you throw eggs, you know, down my block, I'm going to throw some bullets back at you. So it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. And luckily they kind of uh, put a stop to it for the most part. I mean, I, I know it does still happen. Um, I did kind of close out that chapter talking about an event that had just happened when the book was coming out right around 2007 uh, when there was a guy killed out there because some kids threw eggs at his, uh, his minivan. You know, may he rest in peace. And he chased the guys down into the building and they ended up shooting and killing them. So, Obviously, that, that, you know, the more violent scenarios came into play later. Uh, I left New York in 93, um, but, you know, that that had just happened in 2006 or 7, I believe. Um, so you see that, you know, they're still they're still playing those games out there, but they, they become more deadly games, you know, which uh, leads us into the conversation of, of the cops and how they have to police. This is something that has just uh, continued to snowball out of control, and, you know, we hear these politicians and we see, you know, the media puts their own spin on it and it's just something that's been going on and on. You know, the politicians are not, they're not coming to fix this. They're not going to fix it. They're not interested in fixing it. They don't care about fixing it. It doesn't make them money and it doesn't help them. It doesn't help their agenda, right? As long as they have their little, um, they get to do their little media clip and, and, and do that little bite, you know, in front of the CNN cameras and, proclaim that, you know, they're here to support whatever side they're supporting, uh, at the end of the day, I don't think any of them is really working towards a resolution. Uh, you know, now you know I am from the streets and all that, but I'm also educated. I'm college educated. I, you know, I've been working in uh, information technology for over 20, over 20 years. And in my current position, you know, I do project management. And the first thing you have to know about any issue is, you have to go to the root cause, and once you find that root cause, you have to build a plan, a realistic plan um, that you're going to be able to follow and that you're going to be able to, you know, have deliverables and, and take action items and, and just take action on things. And that's something that we just don't see happening. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the education system. It doesn't matter if we're talking about poverty. It doesn't matter if we're talking about just violence in the inner cities. It doesn't matter if we're talking about police bursts. Uh, civilians right now, it doesn't matter what it is. When's the last time you ever saw anybody sit down and, and make a plan and create some real actionable items? Because until things start to, you know, move and happen, and one of those things, Angel, is accountability. 
and until police officers are held accountable for their behavior, and until we as a community start to hold people in our community accountable for their behavior, you know, nothing's ever going to change. It's like we learned when we were kids, right? We had to be accountable for our actions, right? You did, I mean, I'm sure you got a million stories. You could tell me that if you did something wrong, you got slapped on your hand, you got slapped on your hat, whatever it was that your parents did to you, however they disciplined you, but they were teaching you from a very young age that you were going to have to be accountable for your actions and there were going to be consequences for your actions. I think one of the worst things happening right now and, and the reason you see these protests, people have sat up and realized that, you you know, you could be a saint, you could be a thug, you could be a school teacher, you could be what you and I are, you know, working in corporate America. It, it doesn't take a genius to sit down and look at this and say, something is really, really wrong. And, and, and this is why we've ended up in this situation. Now, unfortunately, because you have radicals in every situation, you're going to have people that are going to start to scream these sentiments of, now we want to kill police. And the, the, the interesting thing is, and this is a true story, I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine who was, who was married to a police officer, whose sister was a, is, a, is a retired NYPD police officer. I had just had a conversation with this guy the night before and said what a dangerous precedence this sets when people start to call for the murder of police officers because who, who, who are you really killing? If they had absolutely nothing to do with the death, then what did you just do? What did you just accomplish? It's sad. It's sad. It's tragic. And, and again, you know, if we keep on waiting on these guys to fix this problem, it's, it's honestly not going to happen because these guys are just doing, in many instances, they're, they're, they have self-interest and they want to get that next appointment and they want to get that next, you know, seat in Congress or whatever it is. And they really don't care at the end of the day about what's going on in the community. It, it has to start with the cops on the ground. It has to start with people in the community. And we all have to start holding each other accountable and start working towards some type of, of unity and, and, and coming together. I mean, we knew a lot of the cops in our community, whether that was good or bad, whether we were getting in trouble or not. I mean, they knew who we were. And we knew who they were. And we even knew their names and they knew our names. But, uh, but at the end of the day, at least there was some humanity behind it, you know, and if we were doing wrong, then we had to accept responsibility. We had to accept those cuffs going on our wrists and we had to, you know, accept being hauled off. That's, that's, that's the truth. I, I actually, I remember seeing, I had gotten uh, caught by a cop when I was um, involved in this, this huge gang fight, man. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was Latinos against the black guys, and it was crazy. It was, I mean, it was nuts. And when he caught me, because basically we were in this brawl, and you know, we were we started to win, right? We we had the numbers, we started to win. But then the black guys had some more friends coming. Then they had the numbers and wanted them to pull the gun. When they pulled the gun, me and you know, we scattered. Basically, the Latino group scattered, and we ran away. And I jumped the turnstile, and when I jumped, boom! This cops came out of. They were hiding in this little, you know, you know, in the in the subway, there's those little places in the doors where they hide. So they all popped out, and I was one of the guys that got caught. Hmm. And um, the guy, he was, he was, this guy, you know, we say there's good cops, there's bad cops. This guy 
was what I would classify as not a good cop because he put me up against the wall and he said, okay, speak boy, we got you. And there's a bunch of N words out there that are about to get your friends. You want to go help them? We'll let you go. You can go help them. We're going to let you guys duke it out. And whoever's left standing at the end, we're going to arrest you. So this was his mentality. Um, the, the reason I bring that up is because years later, I saw the same cop. But at that point, I had already turned my life around. You know, So he saw me when I was coming home from, from college. I was wearing a tie. I was dressed up professional. And the guy, he didn't say a word to me. He just looked at me. He smiled and he nodded. You know, you know what I mean? Like he nodded like mm-hmm. he was uh, he was like acknowledging like, huh, OK, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> and maybe he moved on to bigger and better. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, Andrew, because I, I, I tell a story sometimes, you know, when I first left New York again in 1993, that was at the height of, you know, when we were really the murder capital of, of the United States once again. And we were averaging over 2000 murders a year. Uh, between 90 and 93, I believe, right before Giuliani came in. And, um, you know, I just had to get out of there because it seemed like there was a funeral happening every six months, and I had enough. But, you know, when I moved out to Virginia Beach and, and kind of turned my life around and became a professional, you know, I'd be hanging out with my friends, and I'd, I'd, I'd tell them a story because it would be fascinating to them to hear about, you know, how I got this shit beat out of me by cops. You know, I don't know if I can curse on here, so I'll keep that to a minimum. But, yeah, let's, you know, let's I, minimize that. I'll have to beat that. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I, t- I, I tell a story of how, you know, I got I, I got the crap kicked out of me by cops. But I always left out an important part, which was that I was provoking that. You know, I was literally face-to-face with a police officer and had plenty of time, you know, plenty of time to get away. They were, they were driving by the neighborhood and I had had too much to drink that night. And uh, my brother had just got uh, sent away for a couple of years and I was mad at the world. So I said, F the police. I yelled it right into their car. So as they made a U-turn to come back, all my friends said, Hey man, run in the building and disappear. You know? And I, no, no, no. You know, I had my beer, you know, uh, bravery on. And when they, when they came out, they they literally asked me, what what did you say? And I don't think they expected me to say it again. And I did, you know, right right in his face, like right in his face, after police. And he did what he did. You know, he punched me, knocked me down, and, you know, they, they roughed me up a bit, threw me in the car. But the, but the interesting thing about that is when they were driving me to the police station, he, he turned around and he was getting ready to hit me with his knife stick. And... I guess he saw some fear in me or something, and he stopped, and he decided instead to ask me why was it that I was saying F the police. And I said, you know, my my brother just got locked up. My brother just got sent away for two years. And he said, did I I lock your brother up? Am I the one that locked your brother up? And I stopped, and I thought about it like, oh, man, no, you're not the one that locked my brother. And he's like, so why are you taking that out on me? And I think that, you know, that's such a that's such a good example in many in many different cases in that number one, I always told the story that they beat me up, but I never told the story why until I became older and more mature. So that was taking accountability, right? Now I have to go back and take accountability for why that incident even happened. Whereas before I would have just been telling the world, Yeah, the the NYPD, they're abusive, they're corrupt, you know, they beat the crap also- out of me. You know why? Yeah. Why did your brother your brother got locked up for a reason, right? It wasn't because absolutely, guy was, absolutely. You know, so we, we, were, we were doing dirt. We were doing dirt. So again, it, it comes down to accountability. Um, but but secondly, it comes down to 
you know, that cop was able to pull himself back for a moment and kind of humanize the situation and say, why are you taking your stuff out on me? And I think that happens both ways. I think, you know, a lot of citizens are fed up and they're upset and they're, they're taking out their anger on every single cop that they see instead of putting that in, in, in the bucket that it belongs in. You know, who is who are the ones that are messing up and, and who are the ones we need to be holding accountable as opposed to just generalizing and saying it's all cops. You can't do that. And on the flip side of that, we need cops to do the same thing. You know, we need cops to take a step back and be able to humanize that person on the street that's going through that struggle and, and, and not take their stuff out on us because we don't know if a, a cop just caught his wife cheating on him or if he, you know, he may be in jeopardy of losing his house or he can't make his mortgage payment. We don't, we don't know what he's going through and he doesn't know what we're going through. He may not know that, you know, there's no dinner on the table and I'm 15 and I'm going to try to put dinner on the table tonight because I don't want my siblings to starve. You know, it's that, it, it, it comes down to humanity and being able to humanize these situations. And I think people are so quick to pull that race card, racism, racism. Yeah, there's absolutely racism happening, but it's more classism because you have a different class policing us. You know, you have a middle class or upper middle class policing people that are in dire poverty, that see no way out, that have no food in their refrigerator, that have one parent at home, that either that parent works all day, maybe two jobs to try to provide, or that parent themselves has a problem, has mental health issues, uh, you know, doesn't have a job, doesn't have an education. I mean, and I know this is going way, way so far deep into what's going on, but it's what I talked about earlier, which is getting to the root cause of what is causing this type of policing to keep happening in these types of communities. And and, I, and let me just say this, man, about Ramos. One, one of the things that breaks my heart so much about this, this is a guy I found out recently that I have mutual friends with, people that grew up with him in, in Brooklyn that I've known from many different circles, whether, you know, these guys uh, are writers, some of them are graffiti writers, uh, some of them write movie scripts, whatever it is. They grew up with this guy, you know, and he went by the graffiti name Pote, P-O-T-E. He grew up in the hood. He grew up in East New York. He used to hang out in the Ville. This is a guy that would be able to bridge this divide and bridge this gap between police and civilian. You know, this is a guy that would understand the struggle and what it's like to come up in those communities and might be able to start the types of programs that we need where we introduce the, the, the police to the community and the community to the police. And, you know, to me, when I found out about what his background was and everything, that's, that's what struck me at, at my heart. And just, you know, it, it's just such a waste um, of life and such a waste of potential and, and just such a waste of humanity and, and what this guy could have done especially in, in this day and age when we need it, you know, because we really need that. You know, here's the thing, Angel, people want to scream for more minority police in minority communities, but now we're putting minority police in minority communities, and what do we just do? We just murdered them. We just murdered right. them. So right. now the minority police ain't even going to understand, like, what, 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 what am I doing here? And I just had this conversation with my girlfriend. Can you imagine if, if I was a cop, as a matter of fact, I think she said one of her uncles just just turned in his badge. I mean, that's what I would do. Wow. You know, and can can you imagine if all of the NYPD turned in their badges? What would the city look like? Oh, you know, nobody wants to think about that, though. 
I, I just I, think I, it would it would look like the Wild Wild West, man, and you you would have the Purge, right? Like the Purge, one of those crazy in, films, you know. Where, in some communities, it would probably look like the Purge, and you know, some people probably get mad at us for saying that. You know, we're minorities. We're always supposed to side with whatever, but I've never believed in that. I never will believe in that. I'm always going to take the side of humanity over anything else. And, you know, that's another problem, man. You know, <laughs> this dude Lynch, let me tell you something, man. This guy is so out of control and so off the cuff. Somebody needs to put this guy in check. If anyone needs to turn in their resignation, it's this guy. If anyone has blood on their hands, it's that guy. You know, this is a guy I've watched on press conference after press conference. I'm talking about Patrick Lynch of the PBA, the, the, the New York uh, PBA. You know, you see this guy time and time again holds press conference after press conference, and he never wants to hold any of his officers accountable for their bad behavior. And the same could be said about Al Sharpton and those guys who never want to seem to hold the community accountable for their behavior. You know, people come out and they start screaming right away. As soon as something happens, they don't even let the evidence come out. And, and yes, we know there's bad cops out there, and we see the videos of them abusing their power and being abusive and people are tired of it, especially because they're not being held responsible. But we're doing the same thing, man. We're throwing punches at cops and we're, you know, we're disrespecting the law and we're walking around with guns and, you know, we don't ever want to take account accountability for our own actions. And that's just, that's something that just needs to stop. And, you know, for Lynch to say that the Blasio is the one that has, uh, you know, blood on his hands and he's upset with the Blasio for calling uh, the, the police officers to the carpet and trying to hold them accountable and using stories from his own, you know, children's background and, and situations that they've had, may or may not have had, or he's worried they're going to have. I mean, it's not fair to him either because what the message that they're sending there is, don't you dare speak out against us no matter what, even if we're wrong. And if they continue to do that, and it's going to continue to stay on us against them. Again, if the community activists can't hold the community accountable, you had some real good community activists out there who really tried to hold back the people from exploding, but then you also had the people that just exploded and just burned down their own community. And if that continues to happen, then we're doomed, my brother. Ivan, we are running out of time. So if you would like to um, share you know, any contact information where people can purchase your book, anything you want to let the listeners know before we say goodbye, now's the time, my good man. Absolutely, man. I, I think, you know, as you know, I, I, I certainly didn't come on here to promote uh, the book or anything like that, but people can find me on Instagram and Facebook, and the links are out there. I, I go by author Ivan Sanchez. Some people think that's funny, but I did earn the author title, and <laughs> and also... And also, there's a whole bunch of Ivan Sanchez's on there. Uh, there's one in particular that's like a model, and he's way more beautiful than me, and I don't like people to confuse <laughs> us because it's not fair to me or him. Um, but no, just author Ivan Sanchez. You Google that, and you'll find me. Um, and I, I want to clarify for people that want to say you can only be on one side or the other. I cried, literally cried real tears for many of the victims of of uh, police brutality or police abuses or people that have ended up, you know, dying tragic deaths for no reason at all. And I've also cried real tears for Officer Lou and Officer Ramos and will continue to cry real tears. It's not about picking sides. And if there's any officers listening, please understand that just because we want to hold certain officers accountable for the mistakes that they make 
does not mean that we are condemning all officers or calling them all bad, and that needs to stop. And on the other side, you know, the people that are doing that, they, they, they really need to check themselves and they need to come back down to earth because, you know, we have to figure this out as a people. Otherwise, you know, it's gonna there's going to be a war that none of us wants to see, and it's going to be tragic, and there's going to be so many more tears and so many more kids without their parents and, and uh, people without, you know, mothers without their sons, and it just it just has to stop. So I'll just, uh, I'll leave it at that, and, you know, I hope that things uh, can can get better at some point. Yeah, man, you you and I both, man. This is it's a sad state of affairs. You know, I think uh, because it's not directly happening to any one of us at this precise moment, people tend to not really grasp, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a damn shame. You are listening to the NYC Talking Podcast with your host Angel Rodriguez, our guest Ivan Sanchez, spitting the real, telling you reality here. We've got to run. Stay tuned. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Please like NYC Talking on Facebook. Please follow Angel R. Talk on Twitter and Instagram. We are NYC Talking, the realest lifestyle blog ever. Thanks for listening. Not just NYC Talking.